Welcome to the Life Over Coffee podcast, conversations for transformation. Hello, everyone. Thank you so much for joining me. I am Rick Thomas, and we are doing a little Life Over Coffee. I want to talk about two groups of people that are in America today. Perhaps you can call these people the winners and the losers, or maybe the happy and the sad, or the glad and the mad. Perhaps you would say they are the hopeful and the fearful. What I'm talking about is that we have just come through a political electoral voting system process, and there are winners and losers. And so there are two primary groups in America today, and I want to talk about both of them. And I want to ask this question, which one are you after this political process is now wrapping up? And the more specific question that I want to ask is, what does the state of your heart reveal about your faith? You see, this political season that we have just come through is it's like heat that bears down on our lives. And the way that we talk about it within our ministry is that heat reveals. And what I mean by that is, is that when heat comes down on your life, it will expose who you are. When suffering comes into your life, it will cause things to come out of your heart. And those things that come out of your heart tells you what your pre-existing heart condition was before the heat came down into your life. And so this electoral season that we have just gone through is the heat that's been bearing down on every American and things have been coming out of our hearts. We have a graphic in our ministry that actually portrays this, and if you look at the infographic, what you would see is the sun at the top representing heat bearing down, and then you will see two bowls, and in one bowl you'll have a bowl of snow, the other will be a bowl of mud. Well, you can imagine what happens when the heat bears down on those two bowls. One of them melts, which represents humility, and the other one, the bowl of mud, hardens, which represents pride. And so the question that you ask is that, did the Son cause this, or did the Son reveal this? And the answer is, the Son reveals what was already in the bowl. And so again, when suffering comes, and you can test this, through any kind of suffering that you go through. I am using the illustration of our political process this season that we have just gone through here in America, but it doesn't matter what the suffering is in your life. It could be an intersection, that troublesome intersection in your town, and you find yourself there again and you can't get through. That is heat that comes into your life. And then for many others, there is a a more stressful and complex heat. It could be a relational problem or relational breakdown in your life. Uh, We're also going through the holiday season here in America with Thanksgiving coming up very soon. And that is heat for many people, either uh, relatives that we don't get along with, or maybe it is an unexpected lonely season because you've just gone through a divorce You've had a, a, a close family member to pass away, and here you are going through the happy holidays, but you find yourself not so happy, and that is heat that's bearing down on you. 
And so the key for all of us as Christians is that when these seasons of disappointment come, uh, we want to take time to examine our hearts. And a good question to ask is, what is this heat revealing about me? Am I growing in humility or am I becoming harder and harder? And so though I'm talking about a political process in the United States, what I'm going to share with you applies to all of us, regardless of whatever the heat may be. And so again, thank you so much for being here. I'm very grateful. I'm titling this talk, Assessing My Heart the Morning After an American Election. And so if you want to find the article that I'm sharing with you, that's the title. You can find it at our street address, lifeovercoffee.com. Now, you'll find a video embedded there in the podcast as well, so you can read, watch, and listen, which is how we uh, construct our resources. And so you're welcome to take advantage of that. And also, I, I would encourage you to share uh, this resource and anything else that you find uh, on our website, our articles, our videos, our podcasts. Please share those, our infographics too. Share those with your friends. I'm very grateful for those of you who do that. It's one way that you can partner with us. Now, this also being that it's the holiday season, it's the end of the year, and the end of the year is the time when people give more to 501c3s, that's a nonprofit here in the States, when people give to nonprofit organizations. And so if you are able to help underwrite our ministry so that we can continue to give our resources away, uh, then please, you can donate one time or you can have a recurring donation. You can even become a supporting member if you desire. Uh, we have, for example, private forums that we provide for our supporting members, our financial contributors. It's one way that we can honor them and we interact with them every day. And so you could choose to be a supporting member or you can just donate. But if you would pray about that and then for those of you who can't or don't want to, well, that's okay. What I would ask you to do is that you would share our resources. That would be a great way uh, that you can partner with our ministry and then also pray that, that God would move enough heart so that we can continue uh, to give our stuff away because that is my heart. I want to give it away freely, uh, but it does take a lot of work and effort to put it all together, and that's why we ask people to support. All right, so we want to assess our hearts as I have been doing this for a week now. And regardless of the camp that you're in, the winner, the loser, uh, the happy, the sad, the mad, the glad, the hopeful, the despairing, regardless of the camp that you're in, there is probably work that, that we need, that you need to do uh, in your heart. For example, I mean, the victorious, uh, the temptation could be smugness and high fives all around as we look down on them poor uh, losers. It can be a temptation to condescend. And then for the losers, the temptation could be despair. I mean, just worry and anxiety and my heart is troubled. Or maybe you can move to the other side. You're not despairing, but you're very angry. You're mad because of how things have rolled out during this election season. The point is the election is the heat in our lives that reveals the pre-existing condition of our hearts. Now, that is a truth that we need not forget. And so you can take a measure of yourself 
during any time of suffering that comes upon you and say, how did I respond? What does that response reveal about my heart and then also uh, my relationship with Jesus Christ? And so regardless of the group that you belong to today, the good Lord has a word for all of us, and it is this. We must build our hope on nothing less than Jesus Christ and his righteousness. Now, that is a cliche. It comes from a hymn, but it's the most proper thing that we can think about right now. Our hope has to be built on Jesus Christ and his alien righteousness. As a Christian, Jesus takes our unrighteousness from us and he gives us his righteousness, this alien righteousness. And so now God sees us as perfect in his son and God continues to work on us in a progressive fashion and God has a place for us eternally to be with him he is our hope, and on that hope is how we build our lives. The winners and losers need hearts guarded by this transcendent truth, especially if you're on the losing end of a political season. It can be very tempting to go off in despair or to respond with some very angry and harsh and unkind words toward others. The truth is nobody secured their victory through the voting process. There is never an election that will ultimately accomplish what we need. Sustained happiness, sustained joy, it doesn't come through political agendas or humanistic worldviews. Our best and our worst politicians collectively have failed to bring what Americans need and what our world needs. And if we were politicians, we would fail too because it's not their job because we're not a theocracy, and nor should we be. Poverty, unemployment, sickness, and death will always be undefeated in a fallen world. I do not say that as a cynic. I'm not cynical at all. I'm not saying that as a pessimist or to be negative, or to be fatalistic. That is not my mindset at all. Uh, I am a, a realist. But as a realist, you can be very optimistic if your hope is built in Christ. Some people don't like to deal with reality, and so they ignore the fallen aspects of this world and our lives. But that is ultimately, a. not only is it a setup for future disappointment, it doesn't equip you to optimistically and with hope and courage to address the things in our lives, but always recognizing that these things will be undefeated in a fallen world. The next two years, four years, six years are going to be similar. Again, not pessimistic. We need to know the truth of what fallenness means so that we can be equipped accordingly so that we can act with courage and faith to address within the constraints that God wants us to work within. Because it is only when our true ruler returns, he ultimately will reverse the curse. He will make things great again. Placing hope in a party, placing hope on a person, it's like putting a Band-Aid on a cancer patient. 
It is fascinating and faith-feeling to observe how Jesus lived in and responded to the political system of his day. In fact, that might be an outstanding homework assignment for you after you uh, go through this, is, is to read the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and just observe the life of Christ and how he lived in an upside-down world. The world was terrible, but he lived with confidence because his hope was built in doing the will of his Father. He knew what his mission was. There was joy set before him, and because of that, he was able to endure many hard things. And though he disagreed with that fallen political system, he lived confidently within the constraints of that system. We've never faced his challenges. No, not, not to that degree. They had no qualms about putting innocent adults to death on a cross. Now, we're, we seem to be heading that way, though we're not there yet. I mean, we do kill our babies. We do give consent to killing older adults in some situations. And so you can sense the squeeze as the gap between life and death continues to shrink. Jesus lived in a political world where the right to life was more tenuous than it is even in our culture today, as awful as things are in our culture today. But despite the world in which he lived, he knew who he was. He knew what his father had called him to do. He had a singular goal, goal which was not to make Israel great again. In fact, I want to share with you three verses that could make up three planks on Jesus' platform. Uh, one of them is Luke 19.10. And, and one of the things I like about Luke 19.10 is one of the early verses that I memorized some 40 years ago. And what I like about this verse is, is that every word is monosyllabic. Luke 19.10 reads this way, For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Monosyllabic words make up a potent sentence, and that was his singular vision. That's why he was here, not to make Israel great again, for the Son of Man has come to seek and to save the lost. That's Luke 19.10. The second plank on his political platform, you might say, was John 3.7, the conversation he had with Nicodemus. He said this, Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. Do you see the singularity of his focus? The Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. You must be born again in John 3, 7. And then you throw in Luke 4, 43. He said this, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns as well, for I was sent for this purpose. There are three planks to his platform, and that's how he lived. He knew what his purpose was, and what a great purpose for life. Making people great again by introducing them to the transformative gospel. Any other purpose in our lives will not bring a higher satisfaction. Driving stakes deep into this fallen clay 
while living in such a way to take in the undeniable fruitlessness that this world offers, it can only lead to despair. You have your stories. You've read the stories of people who lived in such a way, even in the face of undeniable fruitlessness as they drove their stakes deep into this clay, and it just led to despair. It is an insatiable search for hope when hope comes from our transcendent God. Jesus said it this way in Mark chapter 4. They are those who hear the word, but the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. The real test for all of us during this election cycle is to assess where we place our hope. Is it on this terrestrial ball and what it can offer us specifically through a political process? Or is our hope built on nothing less than Jesus Christ and his righteousness? I want to give you a a five-question test that is comparative, where you can compare this uh, to that. And as, you, as I ask these questions, what are the things that control your thoughts? And so here are a few ways to see where you are with the Lord and also with fellow image bearers during this particular season. And I'm speaking specifically about the political process. But I realize that our resources go around the globe and it's not a political process for most people. But as you think about the suffering or the heat that bears down on you, regardless of what that heat is, here are five questions that are comparative. Are you more critical or thankful? Take just a moment to think about that as you reflect upon whatever heat is coming into your life. Maybe it's a stay-at-home mom with an unruly child. Uh, Maybe it's a spouse with a difficult spouse that they're living with. Maybe it's those relatives that are coming over for the holidays and your your just criticism is coming out of your uh, mouth. Are you more critical or thankful? Question number one. Number two, are you more fearful or hopeful? These are incredible questions because you really do want to assess your heart as you think about the heat coming down on you. Are you more fearful or hopeful? Number three, are you more frustrated or trusting? Number four, are you more regretful or confident? This is a good question for parents who have children that are out of the home now and their children aren't walking with the Lord. It's very easy for parents to be tempted to look in the rearview mirror and think about woulda, shoulda, coulda. If only I had done this, that, and the other. And and they don't look at the situation from a confident perspective. It is God that grants repentance. We are sovereigntists at the end of the day. God's got this, but sometimes we can be more regretful than confident. And then finally, question number five, are you more of an uh, uh, alienator or reconciler? Do you alienate or do you reconcile? Which one are you more of? Jesus displayed his most profound works when the times were the darkest. Diamonds are like that. The jeweler places diamonds on a black velvet backdrop. He does this to make them more appealing to the customer. Similar to being 
a light. Our goal is to take that little light of ours and to let it shine, shine, and shine. We are the diamonds. The world is our customer. And when the, when the, when the customer, when the world looks at the diamonds in this darkness, this black velvet backdrop, hopefully those diamonds just just bounce out of the darkness, that that light just shines and they see something otherworldly about us because we're more, we're more hopeful than, than fearful. We're more glad than, than mad. We're ultimately not losers, even maybe we did not win the election, but ultimately we are winners and they need to see the hope of Christ in us. During seasons of unrest and discouragement, God's grace is the perfect antidote to impact our dark culture. Love comes from death. Healing comes from brokenness. In God's economy, the darker the sin, the brighter His grace. The death of Christ was not the end of hope. The death of Christ was the portal through which we can receive everlasting life. I voted. Yes, I vote every time it comes around. But I'm not a follower of a politician or a party. I follow King Jesus because of the grace of God, not because of anything that I have done, but because he imposed himself into my life in 1984, and he became my ruler. He became my king. I became a follower, a disciple, because of the grace of God. And he is ruling just as much today as he was ruling last week and last month before the election. Nothing of a transcendent consequence has changed for the Christian. Jesus was Lord yesterday. Jesus was Lord last week. Jesus will be Lord tomorrow. Jesus will reign over our lives through eternity. Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he has risen as he said, come see the place where he lay. That is Matthew 28, verses 5 and 6. We serve a risen king. There is only one reason to be discouraged today. If Christ is not the Lord of your life. If Christ is not the Lord of your life, your life is futile. In Ephesians 4.17, Paul talked about people who have not been born again. Their lives are futile. Their hearts are dark. Let's suppose that your candidate did not win. The winner, the actual winner, is only a temporary placeholder fulfilling the purposes of God. Regardless of who that winner is, they are a temporary placeholder fulfilling the purposes of God. There's going to be others to follow the last group, and then eventually Christ will return to make all things great again. Jesus said this, Do you now believe? Behold, the hour is coming when you will be scattered, each to his own home, and will leave me alone. Yet I am not alone, for the Father is with me. I have said these things to you, that in me you have peace. 
in the world you will have tribulation. But take heart. I have overcome the world. That is John 16. There's a another song, A Mighty Fortress in God, that is very appropriate at this point. I'm not going to sing it to you because you don't want me to. Trust me. But here are some of the words. Did we in our own strength confide? Our striving would be losing. We're not the right man on our side, the man of God's own choosing. Dust ask who that may be? Christ Jesus, it is he. Lord Sabaoth, his name, from age to age the same. And he must win the battle. I've titled this little presentation here, Assessing Our Hearts After an American Election. I want to wrap up by asking uh, just a few questions. Again, you can read everything that I just shared with you. You can also watch it and you can listen to it too. Question number one, how are you doing today? Has anything adverse shaken your soul more than it should? Now, I recognize that when you hear bad news, our, our souls can be rattled. We can be shaken. But we quickly regain our sanctification equilibrium because we're more than conquerors through Christ who died and rose. If you are more shaken than you should, what was that thing that shook you? What, what was it that you wanted that you did not get? What must you do to change yourself? Now, maybe your situation has nothing to do with an American election, but the question is still true. How are you doing today? Has anything adverse shaken your soul more than it should? If so, what was that thing that shook your soul? What was that heat that bore down in your life? What did it expose about you? What did you want? And now what must you do to change yourself? Question number two, how do you think, how do you talk, how do you act toward people who are not on your side? Now, I could be speaking of politics, churches, organizations, demographics, any other category where people collect, where there is potential to divide, potential to compare, potential to Judge, how do you think, how do you talk, how do you act toward those who are not on your side? Uh, sometimes, in fact, uh, I do not recommend this, but if you go out to Twitter, for example, it's an absolute dumpster fire. And, and, and to me, the saddest thing about Twitter is how Christians, or people who say they're Christians, how they talk, how they talk about the other side. That, that is the saddest part about Twitter to me, how Christians talk about those on the other side, and even how they talk about those who are in the body of Christ, but yet have differences of opinions on different subject matter. And so how do you think, how do you talk, how do you act toward those who are not on your side? There's a reconciling way to act, and there's a divisive way to act. I'm not saying being toast. I'm not saying don't have courage. I'm not saying you don't speak your mind. I'm not saying that you shouldn't speak your mind with courage and clarity, no, you want to be forthright. You want to be direct. You want to be clear in what you believe. And you can and it will divide, but you don't want to divide with attitude. Jesus divided. He was a divider of men, but we don't want to divide with a sinful attitude. 
Now, so the two options is not to be sinfully divisive and never say anything. Those are not the options before us. The option is we want to speak the truth in love, and if that divides, even among Christian brothers and sisters, well then, sadly, that's the way it is at this moment in time. So how do you think? How do you talk? How do you act toward those who are not on your side? And then finally, question number three, what is something you can do to reconcile with those who are not like you? How can your little light shine so that it has an impact in dark places that would remain dark if you don't light them up with the hope of the gospel? And so I have titled this, Assessing Our Hearts After an American Election. I do want to make a recommendation since we're talking about suffering here. I have a book uh, that's been well-reviewed by a, a lot of people, and they've had very positive things to say about it. It's called Suffering Well, How to Steward God's Most Feared Blessing. You can get it on Amazon. They'll ship it right to your door. I would encourage you. It's, it's, it's autobiographical. As I share the darkest time in my life and what God did, what God taught me, how I failed, how God gave me His grace to sustain me through uh, this very dark time in my life. And so if you haven't read Suffering Well, a lot of people have. I'm very pleased with how it turned out. I'm thankful now as I look back uh, on those dark days that I'm glad it produced a piece of fruit here that has benefited hundreds of, and hundreds of people. And so if you're going through a dark time, uh, Suffering Well, How to Steward God's Most Feared Blessing. God's most feared blessing, obviously, is suffering. That is the thing that we fear, but ultimately it could be a huge blessing as we see in the cross of Christ. Uh, that is the, the epitome of suffering, but through that suffering, uh, it is our greatest blessing. And in a much smaller way, we can imitate Christ as we go through our suffering. It can be a blessing to us personally and a blessing and benefit to others, uh, but that does not come uh, without a whole lot of work and a whole lot of transformation, perhaps this book would be a blessing to you. Assessing My Heart, The Morning After an American elec Election. Thank you so much, and God bless. Thanks for joining us. Learn more and get access to other resources at lifeovercoffee.com.